most important things about our walk with the Lord that gets talked about so very little and taught so very little. Um, And it's a shame that that's the truth, but it generally is the truth. Because a lot of times, you know, um, especially in our society, we have a Lone Ranger mentality, you know. I don't need you and, you know, but there's no Lone Rangers in the kingdom of heaven. We're a family and we're a body. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about being the body of Christ. We're going to talk about what it is, what it looks like from God's perspective to do life together as family. Because, you know, there's, let's face it, we all come from some form of brokenness in our families. I don't care who you are on this planet. I don't care how good your mom and dad was. There's some brokenness that everybody carries it through this life, you know, and we're all trying to get to the point where we're walking step in step with Jesus. But who knows that? I'm not there yet. Is anybody else there yet? Okay, I didn't. I, I was just checking, you know. Maybe I... <laughs> we're all trying to get there. But in order to get there, we have to first know what what does Jesus say it's supposed to be like? What is it supposed to look like? How are we supposed to do things? And if we don't know what he says about it, then how do we get there? And um, so tonight we're going to learn about what Jesus says about starting with the commitment to the body of Christ. And I'm just going to open us up with some prayer real quick. Father, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I ask, Lord, that I know many of us are tired this week and that it's been a long week already. I just pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to hear, to receive from you what it is you have for us tonight, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just give me the words that you would speak through me, Lord. And that, Father, everything that is said tonight would be from you and not from me. And, Lord, I thank you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, starting with what is commitment to the body of Christ. It starts with uh, loving each other. You know, it's such a basic thing. But we've talked over and over again already in this lesson that You can be the best in every area, but if you're missing love, it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter. You can go feed the poor. You can go on missions trips every week of the the year. But if your life is not filled with the love of God, and if you're not motivated, your motivation is not purely in love, then when you stand before the Lord, you're going to have that moment of, Lord, Lord, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And he's going to look at you, and he's just going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. I just didn't know you. You never stopped to ask to see if that's what I wanted you to do. You never stopped and said, Lord, I want to do everything in my life out of a love for you and out of obedience to you. So it has to be grounded in love. As Jesus' disciples We're called to love one another as he loved us. And I think that's important because there's a lot of love in this world. I mean, God, you can find a hundred definitions of love if you just go to junior high class and, you know, I mean, my, yeah. Or even go to your work, you probably find another hundred. But God's, God's love is not man's love. It's not this world's love. And it has... It has to be his love that we're loving with. If we're trying to do something outside of his love, you know, his love is unconditional. 
That's a big one. Because I don't see a lot of unconditional love in the body of Christ the way it should be. You know, if you don't dress like this, if you don't act like this, if you're not meeting my standard of this, you know, then I'll pull my love away. But that's not Jesus. You know, Jesus loves us. He said that while we were yet sinners, he came and he died for us. That's how much he loved us. When you were in your worst sinful moment of your life, Jesus was looking at you in love. And if we can't do that with other people, we're missing it. We're missing the point. That's what it's all about, is being able to look at people and love them right where they're at, no matter what it looks like. John explained the love is selfless and willing to lay down your life for each other. You know, um, love puts others before yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to find people that will love you and lay down their life for you. But when you find that, you only find that in somebody who is completely submitted to God. And it's completely following the Lord because you cannot live that love without the Lord. You can't. You just won't do that outside of God. The many expressions of love. God's word gives many expressions of love. Loyalty and devotion to each other. Restraint from backbiting, slander, gossip, and fighting. That's a big one. Man. Because we're talking about the body tonight, right, guys? Everybody understands we're not talking about the world tonight. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about right here amongst believers and, and amongst our family. There should not be gossip. There should not be slander. There should not be any of that stuff going on amongst us. Period. Period. At the end of that sentence, big time. If you find yourself constantly getting into a corner with people that have something to say about a brother or sister or even somebody outside the church, that's an opportunity for you to say, okay, I, I either need to say something and address this or I need to back away from this until I can say something with the right heart and the right attitude. And we'll be talking about the right heart and the right attitude here shortly. Valuing and regarding your brother and sister is more important than yourself. The strong bearing the burdens of the weak, sharing your life's victories and defeats as an example to others, and meeting the needs of others with food, clothing, and shelter, maintaining unity and peace by his spirit. You know, I find it really interesting right now we've got in the world, everyone's talking about unity and unity and the need for unity and and even in the church, we talk a lot about unity. But when the Lord talks about unity in the Word, it's always unity in the Spirit. There is no such thing as true unity outside of God's Spirit. It's not a real unity. It's kind of like going back to the very first thing about good, how there's, there's good and then there's God's good. Well, there's unity and then there's God's unity which is flows out of only his spirit and relationship to him and obedience see we can come together and we can see things completely different and we can disagree on many things but if we're connected 
through the Spirit of God, none of those differences divide us. None of those things change the love that we have for one another. Because the truth is, is that it's good that we're not um, all the same. I love that it's not like, sometimes the church feels like the clone zone. You know, like everybody's trying to be the same, act the same, look the same, worship the same. It's, it's like, but God didn't create us as clones. We're all unique. We all have different personalities in different places. And it's on purpose. God's good like that. You know, we are all different parts in one body. So why is unity so important within the body? Well, united we stand, divided we fall. In Luke chapter 11, verse 17, it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, A kingdom where people fight with each other end up in run, ruin, run, ruin, whatever that is. <laughs> Excuse me. And a family that fights will break up. <laughs> it's so important inside the kingdom that we're not bickering amongst each other all the time, that we're not constantly at each other's throats and constantly looking for a fight. That's something that the world, we should, we should expect that in the world, but when we're talking about inside the body of Christ, it should not be so. It shouldn't be a place where we're always at, at each other's, you know, so-and-so's mad with so-and-so, and so-and-so's mad with so-and-so, and everybody knows it. I'm just being real. I've been in church my whole life. I, I speak from a lot of experience, okay? Those things, types of things, that shouldn't be how people see us. When people come in from the world and they're, they're in our, our, our fellowship and they're in our presence, they should feel the unity of the Spirit. They should feel the love of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in this house. They should feel that. They should experience something that's completely different from what the world is offering. Satan uses division to destroy the, the kingdom of God. This is why it's so important to love one another by being quick to forgive and slow to offense. Man, don't we live in a world that's opposite to that? I'm going to say that again. Quick to forgive and slow to offense. Man, Lord, help me. That's a hard one, guys. It is so easy, especially in our culture nowadays, where everybody's hyper offended at everything anymore. I mean, you can't do anything without somebody be offended at you, right? But that is not the culture of heaven, and that is not the government of Christ. Jesus taught us to seek reconciliation and peace with your brother before bringing our gifts to God. You know, even before, even before we're supposed to bring a tithe to the Lord, which is a command by God. He says, don't, I don't want your stuff. I don't want anything from you until you get right with your brother. You get right with your sister. If that doesn't tell you how important it is to God, that'll tell you something right there. It's more important to him than anything that we be in right relationship. And right relationship within the body of Christ. Because, see, we're at, we're at odds. We're at enmity, the Bible says, with the world. 
You know, they don't understand us. And we're trying, we're trying our best to understand where they're at and to pull them into the Lord and pull them in. But, you know, I found that the further I'm away, the longer I live saved life, I have a harder time connecting with the world. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that, but the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I'm like, man, Lord, how, did you, how does that seem appealing? How does that happen? You know? But that's where I have to keep my love on. I have to check my heart and say, Lord, I know I was a filthy wretch when you met me. And I was a sorry dog. And I was as dumb as anybody on the face of the planet. So whatever it is, Lord, let me look at this person with love. No matter if I can understand it or identify with it anymore or not. That's got to be our heart. We've got to have that heart towards people. Paul told us in Ephesians to be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave us. I want you to write down the word gentle. This word's going to pop up quite a bit tonight. And this word is used very, I think it's, it's not used enough in the body of Christ. We should have a gentle spirit with one another. We should have such a gentle spirit with with each other that even when we're mad with each other, we can address each other with honor and with love. Even if we are like, man, I'm so, so, so mad and I'm so hurt, we should still be able to address the situation with gentleness. And that's, let me say, gentleness and maturity are one and the same. If you want to see maturity in action, watch someone and how they act in gentleness with people. Because it's easy to be brash. And it's easy, that's what the world knows, man. Just tell them off. Tell them how it is. You know? Give them the what for. You know? I mean, if you go out in the world, you get that all day long. I mean, people tell you off in two seconds. You know, I just, on the way here, I got told off by somebody. I mean, (laughs) he told me I was number one, too. (laughs) So, but I didn't tell him he was number one, so I tried to be gentle. (laughs) Though I wanted to. By seeking unity and reconciliation, we keep many parts functioning together as one body. Listen, we have got to get an understanding of the body. That we are the body of Christ. And when we're separated and we're not in touch with one another and we're not connected, I I think of in the natural. When the body is not operating correctly, we call it diseased, right? That's what we say in the physical. Well, in the body of Christ, when we're not operating together and we're not functioning properly, we're, we're, we're really we're acting diseased. And see, that's a problem because Jesus is coming back for a bride. 
And he's coming back for a bride that is without spot or blemish. That doesn't sound like a diseased body. So we need to be aware that we have got to be together. We've got to stay connected. It's connected to God and to each other. The cross is the ultimate example of of everything. It shows us how to live our life. If we'll stay connected, you'll notice on a cross, the longest board is always the one that's going up and down. That one should be the strongest. We should always be connected. But listen, if if we don't have a good connection here, we have an incomplete picture of the cross. And we have an incomplete understanding of relationship with the Lord. Because that vertical is important. And it's necessary for us to grow and to be effective in the kingdom. The next section in your book is the body of Christ. This body is comprised of many members. Each member of the body is dependent on the other member to function. God never intended for Lone Ranger Christianity. We need each other in order to function and perform the will of God on earth. Paul says it best in Ephesians 4 and 16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joints, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. I want you you all to, to write that down. Every part does its share. causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This, this, this body of Christ only works if everybody's doing their share. I can't do your job and you can't do my job. If I'm a finger, I can't be a toe. You know, I can try my best, but guess what? It ain't going to work. You have to be who your God's called you to be and do your part, and I have to be who God's called me to be and do my part. And one is not more important than the other, okay? Let's just squash that right now. There is no part of this body that is more important than the other except for one thing, and that's the head. That's Jesus. He's the only one that gets the, the glory and the honor. He's the only one that gets the special rep like recognition. He's the one that gets all the cred. He's it. Jesus is building the church. Just as our body is completely dependent on our head for all movement, so must we, the body, be totally dependent on Jesus, our head, to direct our every move. I had a a preacher probably, oh man, probably 20 years ago now. He used to say that Anything with more than one head is a monster. You watch a movie, you can identify a monster right away if it's got two heads, three heads, four heads. Body of Christ the same way. There's one head, and that's Jesus. And anything that's trying to be head but him, it just makes it look like a monster. There is one head. Another picture of the body of Christ is it gives in, in John fifteen five through 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. But you cannot do anything without me. I want you to write that down too. You cannot do anything without Jesus. 
If you don't stay joined to me, you will be thrown away. You will be like a dry branch that, are, that is gathered up and burned in the fire. Listen, there's a lot of... There's a lot of service that goes on inside the body of Christ that I don't know how connected it really is to Jesus. I'm just going to be real honest. Like I, I, it's, it's good in appearance, like we talked about session one. It, it seems right unto man. But I don't know how submitted it is to actually what Jesus wants to do. Because I happen to believe that if, if the body of Christ, if the church of Christ was actually doing in obedience every single thing that Jesus was telling us to do, I don't think the world would be in the condition it's in. I don't think we would have the issues that we have in in our nation, in our culture, in in the world. I just, I, I can't believe that. So that tells me that we got a lot of busyness going on that may not even be connected to the will of God. And that's a problem. Because that means that the mind, the head, Jesus, and the body are not really connecting. There's a disconnect. I think it's uh, uh, MS, right, where the brain is no longer really controlling what the body's doing. It's just kind of doing its own thing. You know? I think that we have some MS going on right now in the body of Christ, and I'm just being really honest. we got the body going, you know, doing its own thing, and Jesus is like, hey, I just wish you would listen and obey. Because if you did... I could come back real quick and we could put an end to this thing. You see, everybody wants to know when Jesus is coming back. Well, Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. That's what he said. I didn't write it. That's the word. So you want to know when he's coming back? Let's get it together. Let's get it right. Let's be the body of Christ that he deserves. Let's be the spotless bride. And then he'll come back. Another picture of the body of Christ is given uh, by Jesus. I'm going to skip that. I'll be in that a long time. We should now understand that the church must be unified and completely submitted to Jesus for leadership and direction. The early church was a great example of the body working in unity. And I think it has a section in your book where it just kind of talks about how the body worked together in the early church and acts in order to basically spread the gospel throughout the world in a short amount of time without iPhone and without, you know, Internet and without. It's, it blows my mind how effective the early church was without technology and how ineffective we are with technology. It, it just blows my mind. We, we should be doing so much better with the tools that we're given in this age. We can do better, and we will do better. It's not over. We're, every day, His mercy is new. Every day. Every day is an opportunity. You know, I, I think um, social media, you know, we... 
talk a lot of bad about social media, and there is a lot of bad about social media. I'll tell you that. I'll be the first to admit it. But social media also has a lot of great opportunities to spread the gospel and to bring hope and to bring truth and to bring some life. There's some great opportunities to use social media for that. Now, whether we choose to do that or not, I don't know. (laughs) Most of the time, probably not like we should. But it doesn't mean that we can't start. You know, if God's putting something on your heart, what a great place to share it. Because maybe somebody's life will be changed by just one thing that God has revealed to you. I'm going to skip down to God's warning about oppressive government. Why should we as Christians care about politics and government? Well, the answer is because God warned us about the harm of an oppressive government. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 through 9 and 14 through 18, the Lord said, Samuel, do everything they want you to do because I am the, the one that they are really rejecting as their king. Ever since the day I rescued my people from Egypt, They have turned from me to worship idols, and now they are turning away from you. You do everything that they ask, but warn them and tell them how a king will treat them. He will take their best fields, their vineyards, their orchards, and hand them over to the special friends. He'll tax the harvest and vintage to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prized workers and best animals he'll take for his own use, and he'll lay a tax on your flocks, and you'll end up no better than a slave. The day will come when you will cry in desperation because of this king that you wanted so much, but don't expect God to answer. Wow, that sounds pretty relevant for me to have written so long ago. You know, it's it's pretty silly for us as the body of Christ to think that we should not be involved in government. Well, Jesus, you know, Jesus is superior to government. You're, you're absolutely right. But Jesus says that he's going to establish a government. And his goal is to do that on earth as it is in heaven. How is he going to do that? if it ain't through the church. I don't know. It's impossible. We have got to be involved. We've got to be at least paying attention. You know, we've got things going on in our country like abortion where millions of innocents are being killed every single year. Millions, I'm not talking that millions of babies are being slaughtered. And we know 100% that there's one group of people that support this. And you mean to tell me that as the body of Christ, we can't identify what we should be against and what we should be for? I'm not saying that I'm not for any political party or anything. I'm, I'm for Jesus and his word. And anyone who stands against his word is wrong, period. And we need to understand that we need to line our lives up with his word. And that's even when it goes to voting. In this country, we vote. We don't have a king. 
Jesus is the king. We have a king, right? Everybody understand that? We have a king. So when we vote for those, those people in government and those people in power, we need to find the people that are most aligned with our king and with his agenda and what he wants done on earth. And that's all, that's all I'm going to say about government and politics and whatnot. But that's the truth. We should be aligning with the king. The biblical method of helping the poor. The church giving through the principle of sowing and reaping has always been God's plan to help the poor. God's plan was not for the world's governments to create social programs to help the poor. God spoke to us as the church to give food, clothing, and shelter because the world's governments work independently of God to meet those needs through taxation and corruption. But God longs to show the power of his great love through his glorious church. This is one of the worst things the church has ever done is we've relinquished our place. And we gave that responsibility over to government. And it should have never happened. But it's time for us to take it back. And we're starting that. We've got things like Family Promise going on here, which is a wonderful, wonderful ministry to be a part of. We're helping those who are in need. But I encourage you, government... Government is not the solution to this world's problems. God is the solution, and the church has the answers and the provisions to do what needs to be done. The church can't give, though, when it's broke. I'm I'm, I'm laying this some heavy stuff, so I'm just going to be real. It is what it is. So we must be good stewards for what God gives us. Sadly, many of the poor are actually in the church due to debt, ignorance, and even laziness. The good news is, is God is the solution to all those problems. And I encourage you that if you're experiencing some financial difficulties in your life, there's some great resources out there in, this, in the Christian realm. It's Dave Ramsey's a great one. Financial Peace University. There's several churches in this area that offer Financial Peace University. If you've never heard of Dave Ramsey, write his name down if you're having financial issues. We will go to college for six to eight to ten years sometimes to learn how to make money. But how much time will we spend on how to steward and manage it? That's a problem. Some people will never take a financial class their whole life but they'll work the entirety of their life to make some money. We, we should be, be making sure that we are stewarding what God gives us as best we can because we have a mission. It's not about for us. It's about, I can't give you what I don't possess. If I can't feed my family, how do I feed the next door neighbor's family? And so on. We have got to be an example of financial peace in a world where, man, I mean, finances are just, it's ridiculous. You know, I think uh, just the other day, my 18-year-old niece came up to me and was asking me about, you know, what kind of credit card she should get. (laughs) Well, 
should I go ahead and tell her to go ahead and get in slavery? Because that's basically what I'm saying by choose MasterCard. <laughs> I hear they're a good slave owner. They would love for you to work for them your whole life. Anyway, this is my two cents on that. <laughs> what is God's government and the order for the church? This is the next section. This is the part I love the most. A God of order. God has placed five specific graces to watch over and instruct the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. All five of these positions were established to do these two things. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ to full maturity, no longer easily deceived as children by false teaching. Those five graces in the church have those two functions. But I want you to cue in on this first one. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me tell you something. The ministry is not done by apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Read the text. To equip the... For the work of the... Where's ministry go on at? It goes on at your work. It goes on in your sphere of influence. It goes on out there in the world where people are lost and dying and broken and hurting. See, these are graces that help to develop believers, to develop us for the work of the ministry, of the commission. We have it so skewed sometimes. We think that pastors are the ministers. Teachers are the ministers. Let me tell you something. You're the minister. When you go to work every day and someone is crying over something and you say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I speak some life into your situation? You are the ministry. You're the light of the world. I, just, I get so frustrated with that misconception. We put people that have these graces up here and we put everybody else down here. And that is not the way God sees it. And that is not the way we should see it. I'll just stop on that one. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4.13 says, This will continue until we are united, united by our faith and by our understanding of Jesus, the Son of God. Then we will be mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like Him. Man, I can't wait for the day I'm completely like Jesus. That'll be a good day. You want to know what our goal in life should be? That's it. Can I be completely like Jesus? In every situation, every circumstance I face, Lord, help me to be completely like Jesus. The oversight of elders. Elders, the Greek word for elder is, and I'm going to butcher these Greek words because I could barely speak English anyway. So <laughs> it's like presbyteros. And like I said, it's, that's butchering it. But it means 
elderly, senior, or older. That's what an elder actually means in the Greek. The church needs appointed elders to do the following. Number one, to guard the church and the body. In Ezekiel, the elders were to see the sword coming and warn the people. Listen, we have some people that have walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It would be so foolish of us not to be listening to what they have to say when they're telling us, hey, that might be a bad decision. That should be like, oh, oh, maybe I should rethink this. You know, maybe they've been through it a few times. Maybe they've been around that mountain. Number two is to be shepherds to God's church and body, to lead and guide the body into righteousness. Number three, watch over every soul in the body. And number four, to give an account to God concerning the church and the body. See, that's, that's one that's a little harder. See, because whom much is given, much is required. And God, God gives a lot to our elders. But they have to give an account. They have to give an account. But when the watchman fails to warn the people, he is responsible to God. But when the people refuse to pay attention to the watchman's warning, they are held responsible to God. There's a warning for both sides. If you don't, if you don't know who our elders are, Right here is one of our appointed elders, Greg and Ronnie, are as an appointed elder. But let me tell you something. All these other elders among us, they're elders. And they can speak some things into your life if you'll let them. If you'll treat them, if you'll honor them in that position, they can do some things and see some things that you are not able to see. And so I encourage you, get connected to some people that are, according to the Greek, what's that definition there? Mm-hmm. Where are you? Elderly, senior, or older? <laughs> now, we might go to the youth group and they'll be like, that's you. <laughs> so... Find somebody, though, and honor them and connect to them. Because let, let me tell you something. If you don't have an elder speaking into your life and, and, and giving them the opportunity to, to watch over, we just went through those things. But if you don't allow that to work in your life, you don't benefit from it. You won't, you won't hear the warning when it's coming. So, so I encourage you. And, and I know that we have elders in our church that would be happy they would be more than happy to build that relationship with you if you just ask and if you pursue it. Because elders are gentlemen and, and they're not going to dishonor you by speaking into your life when you have no value or you don't really want them to. Sometimes, sometimes they will. That's my dad always did. We as members of the body of Christ are expected to obey and submit to the elders. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your soul and those who, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Man, don't, don't make people's life miserable that are trying to help you and trying to bring wisdom into your life. Because the Bible says to get that just comes back on you. You're the one who pays the price for that misery. So honor is key in this relationship with the elders in the church. Honor has to be there. You know, we have such a problem with the word submissive and submit in the church, and I'm just going to go ahead and address that now. Submission is a part of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you, you, you do not get into maturity with the Lord if you don't learn to submit. You cannot graduate, I would say, until you learn that lesson. And God will take you around that mountain as many times as he needs to take you. And I'll tell you the truth. I've seen people in the church that are maybe 60, 70 years old that are still fighting the submission battle. Because they refuse to submit to the Lord or to anybody that's in authority in the church. Somebody has to be able to speak into your life. Somebody has to be able to speak those things that need to be said in love. So I encourage you, don't go around the mountain of, of submission all the time. Find somebody. Now, let me make this real clear with this next verse. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. So Jesus got them together to settle things down, and he said, You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve and not be served and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. Listen, the reason why it's so easy to submit to godly leadership is because godly leadership doesn't do that. They're not just there to boss you around and make you feel inadequate, stupid, or, you know, that is not kingdom leadership. And let me tell you something. If you see leadership that is doing that, there is a process we're going to go through that allows you to address that. God built it in. He thought of everything. But there's a way to do it with order and with honor. Because who knows that honor is not dependent upon the person you're dealing with when it comes to Jesus and living for Jesus. We are to honor people no matter where they're at, no matter what life condition they're in. We, we are to honor people because you know what? That's what Jesus did for us. He honored us. Even in our junk and our mess, even in all that, he still had honor because honor is reflective of me. If I don't honor you, it has nothing to do with whether you're honorable. It has to do with my, whether I'm honorable. 
And when I choose to dishonor somebody, I've just showed that my character, I have a character issue that needs to be dealt with because I am dishonorable. Dishonorable people dishonor. Honorable people honor. It's just the way the kingdom works. You can only give away what you have. The attitude of the elders and overseers must be these four things. To see the will of God is done. Number one. Two, to empower all believers to seek God, God's will directly, no longer depending on people to fill the position of the Holy Spirit. I want to read that again. To empower all believers to seek God directly. No longer depending on people to fill the position of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we have got to be an empowerment people. Jesus was an empowerment person. Hey, you're a fisherman? Come follow me. Now go to that city and preach. Hey, you're a tax collector? Follow me. Now go to that city and preach. He empowered people as soon as he called them. That's crazy, right? That's nuts, right? We, we would never do that. Like, welcome to the Lord. You want to preach Sunday morning? <laughs> We're laughing. Jesus did it. He literally did that. And he, you know what? He even let them make mistakes. Remember they went and they came back and said, Hey, we corrected some guys. They were saying stuff in your name and... Man, we told them what for, that they don't really know you, that they hadn't been a part of your ministry. And Jesus is like, man, they're not against me. They're for me. Don't do that again. (laughs) Right? They even messed it up, and that was okay. Because guess what? We're going to make mistakes. But that's where growth is. And how maturity comes in the body of Christ is you have to be able to go out there and make mistakes. And leadership has to have a love and empowerment thing and not a control and fear environment. Because control and fear, you will never grow in. You will never grow under control and fear. But you will grow as fast as the Lord will grow you under love and empowerment. I guarantee it. Here's the thing about love and empowerment. It's messy. See, fear and control, you can keep things kind of a little neat and compartmentalized. and You can try your best to make everything look good. But when you have a, a, an environment of love and empowerment, things get real messy real quick. I like to think God is a God of order, without a doubt. But who knows that childbirth is order to God? That is the messiest, craziest experience I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And that's the one thing that brings life into the world. And it's it's a mess. Sometimes we think order is something and God's like, no, that's not what order is in the kingdom. This is what order is. And so, here's the thing, you're going to make messes. And Jesus knows you're going to make messes. And your leaders know you're going to make messes. But if, you're not, if you don't feel empowered and free to make those messes, you will not grow. And you will not reach your kingdom destiny. You will not ever walk where God wants you to walk if you're not willing 
to make a mess every once in a while. Okay. Mm. The responsibility, oh, well, number three. I'm going to keep going with that. To be an example to others. Listen, your leaders, you, you want to be able to watch their life. And you want to be able not to see them, but you want to be able to see Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he told his followers. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a lot of responsibility when you tell someone that. Because that means that, hey, they're going to watch you. And you're inviting them to watch you. And that's a lot of responsibility. But I encourage you, find people in your life that you can watch. And you'll find that you're missing a lot of potholes that you used to hit. A lot of potholes. They don't even, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I've, I've found great relationships in this body without a doubt. And I'm tremendously thankful for all of those that I've been able to connect with. But there is ministers outside of this. There are books I've read that I have so much learned from. And I've been able to imitate some things that have actually taken me out of situations that I was in for years, struggles that I was in for years, just by reading a book from somebody, just by listening to a message from somebody. So I encourage you, look for people that you know, hey, that guy's following Christ. That lady is following Christ. And imitate them. Imitate them as they imitate the Lord. The responsibility of the elders concerning the receiving of a word from the Holy Spirit. They're to confirm the word. Uh, I like what Dan says. Dan says, was it God or was it pizza? (laughs) Thanks, Dan. I'm, I'm keeping that one forever. You know, it's important when God gives you a word, you should, try, you should have people in your life, some elders in your life, that you can bring that word to and say, hey, guys, what do you think this is? I'll be honest with you. I met with Greg and Dan probably, I don't know how many months back that was, but I told them, you know, there's, the Lord just put on my heart to do the discipleship thing, to do a training class in discipleship. I know you all remember this. And I just, like, put it out there. Guys, can you all, you know, give me some some help, some prayer, something, you know? And, and they really did. They just, they spoke into my life in a way that I knew what I was hearing was from God. And then God confirmed it because we went just the next week, I think, down to Lubbock. And the whole four-square thing was about discipleship. So it's like, okay, God, I get it. I'm, I'm on board. And then here we are. We're doing discipleship right now. So I just have people in your life you can bounce what God is speaking into your heart and that you trust with that. Because sometimes it could be pizza. <laughs> sometimes it could be pizza. 
The second thing they do is give wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. <clears throat> we need counselors in our life. We need people that can speak into us and bring our life some safety. Because it's, it's a dangerous place. When you don't have people that can speak into your life, you know, and this, this requires a whole new level of relationship that we're talking about, guys, because you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be willing to tell people, hey, I'm going through this, and I'm dealing with this. And you've got to be able to open up, because if you're not vulnerable, relationship only works with, through vulnerability. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you can't have relationship without an authentic, vulnerable, hey, this is my junk. Here it is. <laughs> How can I clean this up? Because I've been trying for years, and the mess is still here. And I'm telling you, I've walked with the Lord for a long time now, and there's still messes in my life I want gone. I want them gone. I don't want to deal with them anymore. But I know that I have to be able to open up, and I have to share those messes with people if I'm ever going to get them clean, if I'm ever going to get it taken care of. That's one of the reasons why it says confess your sins to one another, right? Because what that does is it creates an environment for healing, creates the availability to get that area dealt with and to move past it. Because, man, how much of our lives do we waste dealing with the same crap? I mean, I know I, I read about the children of Israel and I go, man, they were dumb 40 years. And then I go, well, I'm, I'm probably going on lap number uh, 450 on this problem. And I'm, maybe I'm as dumb as they are. Maybe dumber. You know, it's... Our attitude towards our leaders, Hebrews 13 and 7, talks about it. says that we should observe their way of life. And determine if that their way is God's way. Like I said, only imitate them if they're imitating the Lord. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, Paul didn't say, imitate me and stop. <laughs> that wasn't a period after that. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So make sure that the person that you're looking at and you're observing is following the Lord. How do you know that? You've got to know the Word. You've got to know the Lord. Right? If his life or her life does not line up with the Word, there's a problem. Don't imitate them. Please, save yourself a lot of struggle. Because let me tell you, the Bible says that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Not the sons of God are led by the pastors of God the apostles of God, the evangelists of God. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. That will set you free. Let me tell you something. In a religious system, if you don't know that and you don't have that in your heart, you will follow man all the days of your life. You'll be looking for someone to empower you and to tell you what your purpose is all the days of your life. But if you will learn that the Holy Spirit is the one that's at the helm of your life, and that he has 
the call for your life, the purposes for your life, the plan for your life, and that he has the final say of what goes on in your life, you will stop putting a man in the God spot. That spot is reserved. No man or women allowed. God only. Imitate their faith. We just talked about that. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Listen, if you see someone, let's talk about the finances. We just talked about finances. If you see someone and how they live their life, and man, they have a lot of financial freedom, maybe that would be a good person to talk to about finances if you're struggling. Because they have the fruit. Look for the fruit. The fruit will always tell you the root. Right? So if you've got something that you're in need of, if you're looking for some joy in your life, find the person that is the happiest person in the group. And you just go and say, listen, I don't know what you got, but I want it. (laughs) And be on them as long as you can be on them to get it. Because they have something. And if you'll honor them, you can receive from them. You've got to honor it. You've got to go after it. I like uh, Chris Valton. I'm reading one of his books called Destined to Win. He says, if you find your people, you find your purpose. And it's a powerful statement, really, because you need to find your people. Whoever those people are. See, Jesus had 12. And out of 12, he had three. He had to find his people. Even Jesus had to find his people. How much more do we need to find our people? What did it mean to guard the flock? Guarding the flock simply means that we are to diligently watch for stumbling blocks that could easily cause a member of the body to fall into sin. Listen, we have to be open for people to say, hey, I see danger coming in your life. This goes back, though, to that word that I had you write down, gentle. I've had some leadership in my life that weren't gentle about how they approached me on stuff. And it it caused me a lot of pain, and it hurt. There is a way to bring discipline without hurting someone's spirit. There is a way to do it, and it's with gentleness and with love. You see, Jesus turned around to Peter, right after he says, you're the rock, I'm going to build a church on you. And he says, get behind me, Satan, and rebukes him. But Peter didn't run off mad and hurt because there had to be some gentleness and you know that there was pure love in that, what he said to him. Otherwise, I don't think Peter would have been like so receptive of what he was saying. Because that's pretty harsh. He didn't just say, you know, stop it. And get behind me, Satan. Like that's, that's like the bad day. God, that's, that's about as bad as you can get from Jesus. So let people speak into your life. And leaders and people who have influence and authority, bring it with love and gentleness. Don't just give it to them and say, take it or leave it. 
You know? And if you don't take it, I'll give up on you. Don't come back. Don't come back and ask me again. <laughs> I've had all these things happen. I've been in church a long time, okay? Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not Jesus. That's pizza. <laughs> church discipline. This is a great one. Oh, yeah, this is a fun section. Dealing with problems between brethren. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him to work it out between the two of you. Everyone say, between the two of you. Don't go get five people and gossip about it before you go talk to the person. Go to your brother and or your sister, and if you're of the opposite sex, that's when you probably want to maybe involve somebody else. Okay, for wisdom. Wisdom, right? Maybe an elder would be a good place to go for that other person. But if it's of the same sex and you're dealing with some offense... Go to your brother and go to your sister and just say, listen, you said this, you did this, and I, it offended me. It hurt me. And to give them the opportunity to go, oh, I didn't even realize that I had done that. Most of the time that I've had to do this in my life, most of the time, instantly, the person goes, I didn't even realize I did that. I'm so sorry. I would never want to do that on purpose. And instantly we're reconnected. Instantly we're reconciled. But see, most of the time I've encountered this kind of stuff in church. Here's what happens. I'm going to go talk to every Joe Blow over here about it. And I'm going to talk to them about it over here. And we're going to decide whether or not we, uh, how we're going to deal with it. And so I've turned however many people over here against this person because of this offense. And I've made these people have offense against my brother as well. And now it's a mess. And then all of a sudden people are leaving the church. People are hurt. People are broken. And reconciliation is the farthest thing away from what's happening. Go to your brother and go to your sister. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try it again. First time, hey, I don't really care if you're offended or not. I meant what I said and, and that's, what's, that's what it is. If you've got a problem with it, deal with it. Okay. Then go talk to your elders. Go talk to someone that you trust. And let me tell you something. Don't get your best friend. That's always going to agree with you no matter what. Get somebody that will be objective involved. Somebody that can use some wisdom and see both sides of whatever is going on. Because let me tell you something. There's times where sometimes the person that's offended is the one that's wrong. So be real honest with you. Just because you're offended don't make you right. So if 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 you can't reconcile it, just me just you two, go get an elder. Go get some elders and go readdress it. 
with them and see if you can reconcile the situation. If they still won't listen, tell the church. So third time, that's when we get the church involved. That's when we get the body involved. There's a problem. I have an issue with our brother or I have an issue with my sister. I don't know how to reconcile it. If he won't listen to the church, then you have to start over from scratch and confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. I love this. I love that it doesn't say, if they don't listen to the church, kick them out the door and tell everybody that you've ever known about them how rotten and sorry they were. Oh, no, that wasn't it, was it? Start all over from scratch and confront them with the need to repent. What draws men to repentance? What is it that draws men to repentance? The kindness or goodness of God draws men to repentance. So guess what you got to start doing to that person at that point? Loving them, being kind and good to them. Because that will draw them to repentance. And this is crazy stuff. I know this is, this is nuts. They've dishonored you. They've dishonored your elders. They've dishonored the whole church. Now guess what we got to do to them? Love them extra. Heap as much goodness as you can on them. Heap as much love as you can on them. And offer them the ability to forgive and get in right relationship. Do not close the door on that. Listen, as a body of Christ, don't close doors on, on people. You know, there's boundaries. We talked about boundaries in uh, keeping your love on. There's healthy boundaries with people, for sure. But listen, do, do not just close the door on people. You should always have a heart for reconciliation and restoration of relationship. That should be the heart of every person. You know why? Because that was Jesus' heart. We were, we were out of relationship with God, so he came so that we could be restored in relationship and reconciled to God, right? That's the gospel. That is the gospel. That's why we're here. So if we don't do that with other people, there's no way we can say that we're a Christian or a follower of Christ because we're really not following Christ. Restoration has to be our heart. Dealing with a problem concerning leadership. <clears throat> Timothy five nineteen says, Don't listen to any charge against a church leader unless two or three people bring the same charges. But if any of the leaders should keep on sinning, they must be corrected in front of the whole group as a warning to everyone. Listen, there's some extra stuff that goes on with leadership. There's some extra responsibility and accountability. Everybody, you know, thinks that I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. Let me tell you something. There's some extra accountability. You got to call them out in front of everybody, it says. If it's found to be the truth, right? Now, I will say this. The first time, though, that you come and you address it, you should still follow the steps for brother. You should still go one-on-one. 
and try to reconcile that situation. Then if they don't listen, then you go through the process. That's how it goes. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. <laughs> Dealing with those entangled in sin, Galatians 6 talks about, says, restore them in gentleness and humility. There's that word again. Restore them in gentleness and humility. The goal is restoration, not punishment. Everyone write that down. The goal is not punishment. It is restoration. We do not punish. Punishment's dealt with. It's over. Jesus took the punishment of our sin upon himself. And it is not our job to be punishing people. Discipline and punishment are two different things. And I, I please do not, conv- do not confuse the two. Watch out that you don't also become entangled, it says after that. And what that means is when you're dealing with someone who's entangled in sin and you're reaching out to them, you need to be extra careful. Whatever that sin is, maybe, maybe, maybe you come out of a background of drugs and alcohol and someone's going into it. And you're, you're reaching out to your brother, but you know that you've had problems with addiction. Maybe that's not the best time for you to go jumping in to that. Maybe you should find another brother that could speak better into that situation and use some wisdom. I've seen a lot of people that in trying to, you know, help their people out, they oftentimes fall right into what they're doing. You know, eventually, eventually, a lot of times it ends up where we're trying to hold people up. And that's not what we're called to. Jesus holds people up. He's strong enough. We're not. I like to think of it as if I got on that chair and I asked Trey to hook his arms around me and hang. How long do you think it's going to take for me to get down off that chair and go right where he's at on the floor? It ain't going to be too long. I don't care how strong I am. Eventually I'm going to fall if I'm trying to hold the weight. So make sure Jesus is doing the weight lifting. And not you. Dealing with, um, dealing with, our attitude towards evil and sin remaining in the church. Paul taught that evil and sin like yeast filters through the whole batch of dough. Sin and evil not dealt with will contaminate the whole church. Listen, guys. There was a lot, there's been a lot of times where, you know, there's sin in the camp kind of thing. Everybody knows it, everybody, and no one wants to say nothing about it. We need to be a, able to have, be a, a real body of believers, relational body, that we can speak into each other's life and say, listen, the sin's got to go, man. It's going to spread to this place like wild. I have seen so many churches fall apart and fellowships fall apart because of this. Because no one wanted to deal with the issues as they came up. Nobody. It'll just go away if we ignore it. It doesn't work. Paul said that we must replace all wickedness and mischievousness with truth and sincerity. 
That word also could be like purity. You know, the truth, if it's not coupled with a sincere and a pure heart, it's ineffective. So I, I want you to really understand that we, we have an obligation to bring truth to people. But if the truth is not coupled with sincerity and purity, it's not going to be received. I guarantee you, in fact, it's probably going to hurt somebody and do more damage than you actually did any good. Have you ever met somebody that, you know, they talk, what they're saying is technically it's the truth, but they just drove someone so much further away from the Lord from the way they said it? I've seen it a lot. So it's important that we check our heart. Always have a heart check before we deal with these matters. But these matters have to be dealt with. And you shouldn't wait. Don't don't wait for the elders, the apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets to deal with the problem. If you know the problem, deal with the problem. It's your brother. It's your sister. It's, it's the body of Christ. Treatment of others within the church. Elders, them that rule well are worthy of double honor. Do not be harsh or disrespect an elder. Listen, we need to be tre- teaching our children. We need to be teaching ourselves that our elders deserve honor. Our elders deserve to be honored. Young men, treat young men as brothers. Older women treat as mothers. And young women treat as sisters. You know, we would have probably a whole lot less sexual sin and all the other kinds of sins in the church if we would follow that. I mean, Timothy wrote that for a really good reason. If we would start loving each other like family... Like real, like really like family. And I'm not talking about a dysfunctional family, all right? <laughs> but the family of God. <laughs> so somebody's family I wouldn't want to be in. Uh, <laughs> but the family of God. <laughs> if, we, if we would treat, though, if we would treat them with honor, if we treat them as brothers and sisters and mothers, let me tell you something. It's really hard to dishonor your mom. You have to, you know, something's really, when you're a child, not so much. I mean, I think, God, I'm praying for the kids' salvation every day, every day. Can't wait till they get saved. Uh, But, you know, as adults that are saved, that's given our lives to the Lord, it's really hard to dishonor your mama, you know. You have to be, I mean, something's really got to be wrong. And here's the thing. If you are dishonoring your mom, if you are dishonoring an elder, the first thing that comes up from the rest of us shouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe they did that. What is wrong with them? What's going on inside of them that they are doing that? That's not, that's not who they are. You know? We should be asking the questions of, what, okay, what's wrong? If you, I always say it like this. If you, if you see me at... Texas Roadhouse, and I'm hammered. I hope you wouldn't just ignore me. I hope you'd come to the table and be like, David, what's wrong? What's, what, what's, that's not like you. What's, what's going on with you? That's what I would hope somebody would do for me. 
Instead of just going to church and go, I saw so-and-so, he was drinking, he was hammered, oh my God. <laughs> you know. Okay, there's my two cents on that. Treatment of others with sin. Okay, never mind. Sin in the camp. In Joshua chapter 7, we see God's warning about allowing sin to remain among us. Because the Israelites disobeyed God and took the cursed things that he forbid, it resulted in the whole assembly of Israel to be defeated before their enemies. In verse 12 of chapter 7, it says, For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you. You that were set apart for destruction. This is a prophetic warning to the church that when sin and rebellion are permitted to stay in the church fellowship, his presence and protection is removed. You know how most of those fellowships fall apart is because God's protection is got removed. You know, uh, we have to be a real understanding that the Old Testament, the Old Testament is speaking truths. Jesus, Jesus didn't nullify the Old Testament, the law. He, he fulfilled it. And we have to remember that because there's some warnings in the Old Testament that if we don't heed, we will have the same outcomes as those did that did in the Old Testament. I know there's a lot of stuff where, you know, people just avoid reading the Old Testament anymore. They don't even want to know the law. You know, we live under grace, blah, 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 you know. But we have to have a value for the law. The law is teaching us things and, and giving us life lessons that if we don't heed and we don't listen to, we'll, we'll find that we repeat the same outcomes that that happened to them. So when we have sin in the camp, we need to deal with it. That's, that's the bottom line. If there's, if there's an issue of sin with a friend, but guess how we deal with it? We go back to the rinse and repeat procedure. Go to your brother. Do it in love. Do it with gentleness and sincerity. And, and try to win a brother. You know? Go with a heart that you want to win your brother or your sister. Okay. <clears throat> so God disciplines his children. If we are submitted to correction and discipline, it shows that we are the children of God. Hebrews twelve, five through seven says don't feel sorry for yourselves or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his child. My dear children, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child that he loves that he disciplines. The child that he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as a de dear child. This trouble that you're in is not punishment. It's training. It's not punishment. And it, it doesn't always... It, sometimes it just feels like punishment. Yeah? Does anybody else feel that? Like, Lord, man, this, this feels like a lot like punishment. But he's being a good dad. 
He really is. He's being a good dad. And he's loving on us, trying to get us to do not only his will, but the best possible thing for our life. God, Deacon, you know, I like, God's got a lot of requirements for service. I just want y'all to understand that we're not winging it and picking leaders in the body of Christ. There's an order. And these things are important. Their wives must also be serious. They must not gossip or be heavy drinkers. They must be faithful in everything they do. They must be faithful in marriage. They must be in full control of their children and, and everyone else in their home. Qualifications of those who teach or instruct, they must be not be troublemakers. They must be kind to everyone. They must be good teachers. They must be patient. And they must be humble. Counseling and discipline regarding gender. Um, this is really important. I've seen a lot of good men. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen a woman deal with this the way that men have. But um, mature women should counsel younger women. Mature men should counsel other men. And cases that cannot be settled should be brought to the elders for discernment and or judgment. I've seen so many times in churches, like so many things happen when a minister, a male minister is just meeting with a female for counseling or it, it just sets things up for, for trouble. If there is, if you're a man and you're going to counsel with a girl, um, if you're married, you should have your wife there. If you're not married, there should be a female that is accompanying you in that counseling. Do not leave yourself vulnerable to something that could happen. Um, and it does happen a lot in the church, so I, that's why I definitely address that. When the body of Christ works in its proper order, authority, and discipline, it will be reflection of the kingdom of heaven on earth. So in closing, there's an order. There's a specific order to God's kingdom. And as long as we know the order and we operate in his order, we will find that the kingdom of heaven will be established right here on earth. And it can happen right here in Living Way Foursquare. And that's what we're believing for. We want to walk together in healing and we want to walk together in relationship so that we can truly be the body of Christ, meaning that we can walk in real relationship. Listen, there's a hundred churches in this town and you can go to a lot of them and they're going to have the same same message and the same thing and you're going to leave and you're going to come back and maybe you have relationship with one person if you're lucky but God wants us to be a community of believers and he wants us to have a, such a relationship that we're all able to speak into each other's life and love and come to one another with problems and with issues and it shouldn't be just Pastor John's and, and Pastor Ashley's responsibility to take care of the issues that are going on in our house. And it should not be the, just the elders that are dealing with the issues that are going on in our house. We as believers need to grow up and to come into maturity and to do what we're supposed to do and walk in love with one another. And sometimes that just means simply saying, hey, I, I noticed this is going on, man, and I'm worried for you.
I'm worried for you. I see, I see, I see trouble coming. And I love you enough to tell you that it's trouble. And so I just want to close in prayer real quick. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to just talk about these things that we don't often talk about in, our, in, our, in, our, in the church. But, Lord, I pray, Father, that we get a real understanding of what the government of, of heaven looks like, what relationship is supposed to look like, what family is supposed to look like, Lord that we can walk in a culture of honor with one another, that we can walk in a real authentic relationship, God, one that allows for confrontation and discipline when required, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would give us mercy and give us an understanding of how to do it with all gentleness, Lord, and to keep restoration at the forefront of everything that we do, that we would restore people that need restoration, that, Father, that we would bring healing to those who need healing, Father, and that we would not cause more damage and we would not cause hurt in people, Father, but we would actually be an instrument of healing. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.